Welcome to The Bee Podcast. The mission of The Bee is to create an inspiring platform for all women of every age group to have meaningful conversations with the intent to genuinely understand each other's journey, to listen to stories similar and different than our own, engage in each other's triumphs and failures, hear and validate one another on the separate unique journeys we have traveled, the loss we have endured, the joy we have encountered, and the reason behind the lessons we have learned. Bees symbolize community, personal growth, and power. And that is what we aim to do here. Create community, foster growth, and empower women. I'm Cami Milliken, and this is The Bee Podcast. Welcome, and thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Bee Podcast. Becky Albertson did not expect to live in Ottumwa, Iowa. She definitely didn't know what was in store for her family there, but her previous life experience created a catalyst for her to listen to her heart and follow where God led. Listen in here to her encouraging story of going where she and her husband were led and how giving in to trusting the process has changed her life for the better. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Today, I get to talk with Becky Albertson, and she is here with me. We are Zooming because Corona. Becky, I'm so glad that you're here. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm so glad that you are here. You guys, I met Becky. We, we attend the same church, and Becky is on worship team, and she is just a dream to sing with. You're one of my favorite people to sing with, Becky. It's just the best. The feeling is totally mutual. Like We have some amazing <laughs> harmonies together, and I love it. For sure. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, Becky, you are here. Tell us a little bit about who you are. Sure. Well, I am actually a pretty recent transplant to Iowa. I grew up in South Dakota uh, in a little town called Worthing. It is. It was about 300 people uh, when I was growing up. Oh, wow. So really small town. My parents split up when I was really young and my mom remarried uh, when I was three and a half. And my that's my dad. That is my dad. He is just the best, the best guy. Oh, yeah. And I have a little brother and yeah, grew up small town kid, very small high school. And my husband's family farms north of Atemwa. And that is what brought us back to this area a few years ago. So just really oh, glad okay. to, to be here and be connected to the community, be connected to the church, meet all the people. I really feel like Iowa is home now. That's awesome. So you have been here how long? Uh, we are coming up on four years this month. Okay. Cause we just started coming back to Northgate yeah. pretty recently too. So I love that. Awesome. Okay. So Becky, tell us just a little bit about, you talked about your husband. So when did, when did you meet your husband? Tell us a little bit about meeting him and where your life kind of began. Uh, yeah. So Uh, My husband, Chris, is actually, like I said, he's from this area originally. His parents split up when he was young, and his mom lived in South Dakota and brought the boys with them or with her. So that is how and why we're even together. Mm -hmm. Uh, We met in high school. We met in psychology class his senior year and my junior year and an older man (laughs) oh yeah yeah so much older (laughs) we became fast friends um that time of like I'm gonna date myself or age myself here but like when I was in high school like was when um 
MSN Instant Messenger and AOL and ICQ, like (laughs) all of that. And so Chris and I's relationship really started in kind of like you've got mail kind of way. Yes. Like we talked all the time as friends through email and through Instant Messenger because we were both like so shy. I, I mean, not shy as personalities but shy toward each other like we never had conversations in per- person in for like person this time but you could share anything uh through instant messenger and so that's how we kind of developed our friendship then he graduated and there was just this gut check moment like we hadn't started dating or anything yet in fact I don't think we even realized our feelings for each other uh, at that point but he graduated and I just had this sad pit in my stomach that he was going to graduate and go off to whatever. And I would not get to see him again. And I actually found out that he was going to enlist for the military. Oh, but wow. it w- I didn't find that out until like, okay, this is a really super cheesy high school memory, but we both ended up at the same high school football game. So he came back to this football game, even after he'd graduated and we are not school spirit type of people, neither Chris or I. Right. Chris was actually kind of on the goth side and I was a little <laughs> bit like antisocial. So the fact that either of us were even at this football game was hilarious and we saw each other and for whatever reason, it just clicked that we like liked each other and we started dating right after that. And I found out that the next day, the day after that high school football game was the day that he was supposed to enlist, but he decided not to because he was going to take a chance on a girl. Oh, that is adorable. I love it's that. Got, it's super cheesy, super adorable. But yeah, that's that's our story of, of how we met. So we have literally grown up together. Yeah. Um, I went to college for a while. He didn't come to college for the first two years. And so there was uh, a little bit of like a long distance thing happening. He came to college. We both had, we both had a rough go of it in college, uh, mental health issues at that time. So we were probably not particularly healthy in college individually or as a relationship. I mean, young kids trying to find out who they are. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, and to, to send kids off to college at 18, figure it out, friend. Right. I mean, I, yeah, that's girl struggle. I was on that struggle bus myself. So yeah. Yeah. Figure, figure out the rest of your life at 18 when your hormones are raging, when your brain is not fully developed. And by the way, we're going to add like a $20,000 price tag or more to it while you figure it out. It seems crazy and go right. Yeah. 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 That is crazy. Yeah. So yeah, we dated for a really long time. It took that long. Like I'm so grateful that we did because again, we grew up together. We learned a lot together. We persevered a lot together and I think it has made for a better, a better marriage because we're really truly friends that have worked through a lot together. So Mm -hmm. That's awesome. A solid foundation that you have. That's wonderful. Yeah. So let's kind of fast forward a little bit to this incredible experience in your life, which was a kidney donation. Can you just start at the very beginning? So I know that your husband was a big part of this as well. So tell us just a little bit about how that all happened. Yeah. So I donated a kidney to my mother. My mom got sick or diagnosed shortly 
after I uh, graduated high school with a terminal kidney disease. It is a typically slow acting kidney disease. So she had some time, but I just remember during my time, you know, coming back to visit from college that she would just be in further and further health decline. Uh, so much so that when my, my brother graduated high school, like she could barely attend the graduation ceremony. So she needed a kidney donor. And to be honest, my relationship with my mom, especially in high school, was really tumultuous. So we had a lot of reconciliation and restoration that we had to do. And that process had started prior to the kidney donation. But yeah, she needed a kidney donation. And I'll be honest, I have something that I like to call analysis paralysis. I sit and stew about decisions all the time, like to a ridiculous amount that I'm usually paralyzed about making decisions. But for whatever reason, I felt called to donate a kidney and I didn't know in the process whether I would be a match. The testing process is pretty rigorous, but I knew that I had to try. So I believe the testing process or like the conversation about kidney donation started maybe in 2006. And I began the testing process. I was the first one in my family to be tested. If you know anything about organ donation, your chances for a match are much better if you find a match through your family uh, than, you know, trying to find either a cadaver donor or an outside donor. So I was the first one in my family to be tested and I was like as perfect of a match as you could be. Um, at the time I would have been 24 or 25. So healthy. Chris and I were engaged at the time and went through the whole process and uh, was approved for donation. We actually had a donation date set and then my mom got some other illness that pulled her off of the a recipient list for a while. She wasn't eligible because they didn't think that her body would would take to the the surgery. So we had to wait longer. And then okay. they scheduled the kidney donation in June of 2007. And I got the opportunity to donate a kidney to my mom. Holy cow. Oh my gosh. So can you just kind of tell us a little bit about that day, the day that you donated or the day before, you know, what was going on in your brain? Yeah. So Again, I felt like looking back, I had just like a supernatural peace about it. I am typically <laughs> a pretty anxious person. So I look back on that and I really wish I would have kept journals from that time because I look back on that time and I'm surprised at the peace that I felt during the process up until probably the last two weeks before the surgery. Then I started getting nervous about the surgery. Obviously, there are risks of complication from the procedure and risks for yeah. the recipient too, like wondering if we'd both make it out, right. out of the surgery. Absolutely. So I was involved in in a church at the time that did just a really great job of, of shepherding me through that process of allowing me to talk through those feelings that I have of praying with me, of taking care of my physical needs. Like I had meals delivered to me after the procedure for weeks and people would come over and offer to clean my house because I wasn't really allowed to do any of those things. And so yeah. knowing that I had all that, knowing that I had my faith, that I had a community 
around me to support me before and after, knowing that I had a strong relationship with my fiance at the time and that we were going to get married three months after or four months after the surgery. Oh goodness. Yeah. It was like, I had everything that I needed to be supported through that time. Then the day of, I think (laughs) the night before is, is super freaky. Um, you're admitted the night before I was admitted to uh, the kidney floor of the hospital where most of the people on that floor are, are very sick, very, very sick. And here I am, you know, bopping in, getting admitted to a hospital room the night before, you know, they do tests and stuff the night before to make sure everything's still good and just feeling so out of place and so grateful for my health. But I remember, um, when one of the nurses came into my hospital room um, that evening, just as I checked in and and was questioning why I was there because I was healthy and everybody else on that floor was not. And we were only that hospital's second kidney Mm -hmm. donation they'd ever done. Mm -hmm. So this was a new prayer for them. I don't recall sleeping very well at all. Sure. Um, But waking up in the morning and, you know, being wheeled into kind of like a, a waiting room Uh, with my mom and getting the opportunity to pray together before we were rolled back to our individual operating rooms and just knowing that for better or for worse, like our lives were going to change after that point. And I'm just so, so grateful that everything that could go right with that procedure and that surgery went incredibly. My mom is still very healthy today. In fact, they often say that the recovery for the recipient is easier than it is for the donor from that surgery because the recipient is used to feeling awful. And as soon as they plug in that new kidney, they start to feel better immediately. Whereas the donor is used to feeling healthy and they've just kind of been (laughs) hit by a truck as you're ripping organs out of your body. Uh So she was actually the first person, like one of the successes of a surgery, like, you know, the surgery is successful when you can get up and walk. And my mom was the first one to walk to my hospital room. They had us at opposite ends of the wing so that we would have to walk to see each other. And she came to visit me first, which was just, just incredible. It was just amazing to see her with energy and vitality and life. And because she did experience that awesome feeling of health. Yeah. So kind of polar opposite of what she had for so long, so quickly. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Becky. I mean, you talked a little bit about your tumultuous relationship when you were in high school and then it wasn't long after high school that you donated this kidney to her. So how did you, how did your relationship kind of heal? How did you kind of restore that before going into this process of a donation? Yeah. I think at the end of the day, it just came down to trust. I think when, when I was in high school, we are very alike. She and I, our personalities are very alike. And you've heard that, you know, sometimes (laughs) when your personalities are so much alike that that's how you butt heads. I think it came down to having the maturity and seeing in hindsight that she was a woman who was doing the best that she could with me and that she learned to trust that I was going to turn out to be an okay (laughs) human being that she, um, maybe it didn't like look the way that she thought it would, but that she had equipped me to be a successful human being who could make 
her own choices and navigate through life. And I think once we both realized that we were both two people doing the best that we could, that we were able to offer each other a lot of grace and forgiveness and and be proud of where we are now. Yeah. Can you, do you remember the conversation that you had with your mom before the surgery? A lot of that time is a blur. I, I do remember a family recipient often feels really guilty for the quote unquote gift that you're giving them. Like, Sure. Oh my gosh. Yeah, lot, I can imagine. Yeah. There was a lot of fear. I feel misplaced guilt, you know, like you don't have to feel guilty about this, but it is a sacrifice, I guess, to sign yourself up to, you know, donate an organ. organ. So she felt very concerned that I would do this. Very, very grateful. Absolutely. She's so grateful. We celebrate every year on the anniversary of this donation. We have our kidney anniversary. Oh, yes. But I just remember her being very hesitant to take this, this, that she was worried about me that she knew that Chris and I were engaged and that we were going to get married and didn't want anything to happen to me worried about, you know, you know, there's potential down the road that it would impact my health. If I were to ever get sick, like worried about what the future implications might be for me and my health and my ability to, you know, move on with my life. But we worked through that together. It was a gift that I, I wanted to give. It was, again, something I felt called to do. And and what an incredible bonding experience for you and your mother. I mean, to have that huge, huge experience that is so unique and no, I mean, very, very few people have that experience. And just, I think that's incredible that you were able to experience that with someone that you love and especially your mother, because someone who has, you know, given life to you. And I imagine that I would feel like this is mom, this is the least that I can do. Right. Right. Yeah. There was that. I mean, I we're related. I am a perfect match. Why would I not do this? Like, like, why would I not do this? Mm -hmm. So yeah, when people, I don't like to take a whole lot of accolades for this because like, for me, it seems like a normal thing that you would do for somebody. Like if you're sure, but yeah, like when, when I talk about it, sometimes people are shocked, like, oh my goodness, you did this huge like thing. And to me, I'm not trying to downplay it, but it doesn't feel like this huge thing. It feels like, it feels like something I was called to do. And I did natural. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's been, it's been really cool because after that people in my, within my social circle actually experienced the same thing. So my neighbors down the hall and another guy that I worked with donated a kidney to his dad and a friend that I went to church with ended up donating a kidney to a recipient. She didn't even know, like she felt called oh my gosh. to a donor for someone she didn't even know. So like being able to use my experience and my story to encourage other people to walk with them on this really strange road that not many people, like there are not a whole lot of pe- living donors, being able to use that as a way to encourage somebody or to walk with them through that process has been just, it's been one of the biggest blessings of my life. Absolutely. So how, how did this affect the way that you view life? I'm just, I'm really grateful for all of it. I feel like the Lord has given me this gift of hindsight. Again, I've, I've shared that I'm an anxious person. And so sometimes I forget what God is doing in like the messy middle of things. But if I look back on my life, 
I can say, oh my goodness, in that area where I had no idea what you were doing, now I see what you were doing. Now I see how you were, you know, weaving that together or how you brought that friendship into my life for that purpose or why and how you reconciled those things. Like, I feel like I have a bigger picture of, of God's faithfulness and it has given me a a great deal of gratitude for life and moments and experiences that I maybe didn't have before. Yeah. It sounds like this donation, because you were so, I mean, you're still so young, but you're, you were very young when this took place. I mean, how, how exactly how old were you? I wasn't that young. I would, would have been 24. Okay. I mean, yeah, young. 24 seems real young, <laughs> but um, right, yeah. yeah, I, I had just, I had graduated college. Yeah. So this, this whole thing has kind of cast a light over the rest of your life. So after that, it's, it's kind of like pre-donation, post-donation and you know how life was then and how life is now and how you can look ahead. And, but then like you said, look back and see how things have been working together. Let's go a little bit further then in your life and talk about starting a family because obviously this donation and this new found version of thankfulness and hope and all of these wonderful things that have now cast a light on your life, you have a family. So how how did your family come into play and how have you kind of seen this restoration and growth in your life through having a family? So Chris and I got married shortly after the kidney donation. I actually began working in a church at that time, um, doing youth ministry and uh, being an administrative assistant. And I really, really loved my job. I was so sold out for it. I worked so many hours. And when you're young and married, like young in marriage, like you have, you have time. Right. (laughs) What is that? What is time? To devote to whatever passion you have. And my Mm -hmm. passion is youth ministry. I loved loved youth ministry with everything that, that I had. You would be, you have the best personality for that. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure that God's through with that yet, but he and I are still having conversations about what that might, <laughs> might look like now. Uh, as uh-huh. yeah. Cause I'm not as cool as I maybe was when I was. Well, I mean, it is, it's relative. I think you're pretty great, but. <laughs> um, so I had this plan of what my ministry career was going to look like. I had this plan that we weren't going to have kids until I was 30. Oh my gosh. Us too. <laughs> Oh, yes. Surprise. Yeah. So um, we had just bought a new house and literally like the day that we moved into our new house, you know, like you're still newly married. You bought a house. You figured out your budget. You're doing all the responsible things. Checking boxes. Yes. 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 We had literally had a conversation like the day either before or or like the day we moved into the house of like, okay, we are going to wait to start a family because we just made this huge transition in our lives. And, you know, we've got financial responsibilities now and just people responsibilities now. And three weeks later, surprise, I found out I was 
was pregnant and it was hilarious. Man, I am really feeling nauseated a lot yeah, lately. I, because I was getting questions from my youth girls. I was doing, you know, a Bible study with these middle school youth girls about, oh, Becky, when are you guys going to have babies? And I'm like, never, or like not for a long, long time. And literally the, <laughs> ne- like, the next week I was like, girls, uh, I have to tell you something. Yeah, I'm pregnant. <laughs> And so, yes, Natalie was a surprise. Natalie was a catalyst to so much change, to so much change. I hesitate. Okay, we're going to get really real here for a moment. Absolutely. When I found out I was pregnant because of my my plan, my we're not having kids till we're 30 plan, I maybe wasn't as excited as many people would about being pregnant like it took me it took me months of pregnancy for me to embrace how my life was going to change yeah I feel you Becky I feel you because that was our experience as well it took me a long time to be okay with the fact just know that you are not alone I also shared that experience. Yep. Yeah. And so, I mean, on one hand, you're ecstatic, you're grateful. Like on the other hand, you're like, I'm not, I'm not ready. And yeah, Natalie was a catalyst for a lot of change. I realized that I couldn't keep going at the pace that I was going in ministry, like the number of hours that I was committing to, you know, all those things that I was so passionate about that I could not go at that pace. And If I'm honest, looking back on it, at that time, our marriage was suffering. Like early on in our, in our first years of marriage, it was suffering because I would spend all of my time doing the Lord's work at the church and not having anything left in the tank for my husband and our new marriage. So when we found out we were pregnant, it shifted our priorities dramatically and and it was a good thing it was such a good thing it was such a necessary thing but it was kind of like a smack in the face to stop doing yeah yeah just calm down <laughs> becky becky yeah, with the good I, hair i had to slow down yeah so much i had to reprioritize yeah. and it took me some time to make those transitions to be fully committed to my husband and my family first. And I truly believe that like, that is what we're called to. Like, I need to be faithful to those that I've committed to over a vocation, over a job. And yeah, that was a really hard pill to swallow. Yep. She was worth it. Absolutely. I mean, it's worth it. It was the best thing for us. Right. Isn't that incredible how we have these plans and then... And again, it's another one of those situations where like now I see, oh, I remember the fear. I remember the loss and the grief of like, I ended up giving up my ministry job because... Which for you was super fulfilling and you loved it. Yes. Yeah. I remember the grief and the loss. But now looking back, I can again say, oh oh my goodness, God, that's what you were doing there. That's what you had planted or that's what you were, that's what you were doing in that season that felt like, it felt like a death. It felt like I was giving up something, but man, what I received is just so much more. Absolutely. So yeah, that was Natalie and Natalie is a, Natalie's a spitfire. She's, she is a, Mm -hmm. she is just her own little enigma of a person she keeps us on our toes she challenges us she's 
brilliant. She's so stinking smart. I know everybody thinks that their kids are so smart. I think my kid is so smart. She's just amazing. <laughs> but mine really is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, um, and, and then we waited a long time be- between kids. Well, a long time was like five and a half years. That's substantial. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause Natalie was, <laughs> Natalie was a lot as a yeah. toddler. Um, and so we were like, Oh, maybe we're going to be one kid people like that one and be, done. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. But, uh, and then we had McKenna in 2015 and yeah. So two girls, I, it's yes. hilarious because having been in youth ministry and hanging out with, with teenage girls all the time, I loved them, like loved them, uh, loved all of their little feelings, their big feelings, all of it. I loved it, but I could go home and that those feelings were their parents to deal with. And so I prayed when I was pregnant, both with Natalie and McKenna, I prayed for boys (laughs) because I did not feel (laughs) equipped to actually parent girls. And, uh, wouldn't you know, the Lord thought that was hilarious. (laughs) And again, yeah, he's just, yeah. So I have two girls. Funny joke. (laughs) Yes. Funny joke. God, gosh, you're speaking my language because teenage Prepubescent. I guess they're not prepubescent, but yeah, middle school girls are a special kind of a lot. <laughs> yes, they are. And I love like I love middle school girls Me too. because they feel everything because everything is important. They're still shapeable and malleable and you can still encourage them and love them through all of their big, big feelings. Um, and so I'm hopeful that when my kids get to more of those big, big feeling stages and we're, we're getting close that I will be able (laughs) to apply some of my youth ministry experience, although it looks completely different as a parent parent. yeah, Mm -hmm. versus a friend or a pastor or yeah. Yeah. Can you talk just a little bit about how looking back in your life and seeing how things have kind of played out for the better can you just kind of talk about how the kidney donation has kind of influenced the relationship that you have with your daughters? How has that changed your view on parenting? You hadn't had children yet, but then after like, what, what were your thoughts going into parenthood after having this, having done this thing, this huge thing, by the way, you know, honestly, I probably hadn't put together the pieces of how the kidney donation has impacted my parenting before. Like before, until you asked this, I probably had not considered that that has had a big impact on my parenting. I think what it's done, and I'm not there yet. Like, let me just say that I have not arrived in parenting. I am not, <laughs> not there yet at all. Um, but I think what it does is it gives me it gives me a hope and a confidence for the future. Because if you would have told 17-year-old Becky or her mother that we would have evolved and arisen from the tumultuous relationship that we had and that we would be what we are now, we would not have believed you. And so I think what it does is... Again, I'm I'm nervous about being a girl mom. Like right now we're we're in the sunshine and roses phase. We're in the the toddlers and elementary kids age. I am I'm nervous uh about teenage years. I just knowing my own teenage years. 
so I guess what that does is gives me hope that one, I'm going to equip my kids the best way that I can with the tools that I have. And I've got to give myself grace for the flaws that I have, you know, for the areas that I'll likely mess up. I have to trust that I am called and equipped to be a parent, not only to girls, but to these two specific girls that I've been given. And that if God can take a story like what my mom and I had and turn it into this beautiful story of redemption and generosity and love that no matter what happens in the messy middle of teenage years or what have you, that 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 will be the hope for me and my girls. Maybe we'll never have a, a tumultuous relationship. Maybe everything will go very smoothly and, you know, we'll, we'll be best friends or, <laughs> but it helps me remember that God will be faithful and that, um, that we will come through the other side of <laughs> whatever happens in the next eight to 10 years, you know? Yeah. That is a scary thought for moms who have young children to think about those teenage years, especially when, you know, maybe you have had a really rocky relationship with your mom or your dad, or maybe non-existent, you know, maybe it's just been awful, but yeah, I think that is a scary thought, but I think you have a really unique view on that and being able to grant yourself grace as you grow in motherhood and all the changes that come with that. Gosh, I'm really not looking forward to mood swings. I mean, I feel like, don't you feel like they have them like before they, you know, change? Yeah, I would definitely say that some, how old is Eloise? She's six. Okay. Yeah. So there's definitely, there's definitely moods at six. I also feel like Natalie just turned 10. I feel like there is some sort of switch that happens between third and fourth grade where there's where they literally turn into preteens. Like I'm getting more, more eye rolls than I've ever gotten before (laughs) or just like, just like, uh, yeah. So, uh, yes, there are a lot of, a lot of feelings. Um, I am not a per, Like, I don't consider myself a particularly, like, girly girl, feminine. Yeah, so, um, and Natalie is more tomboy, but man, McKenna is, like, she is all into, like, she puts on her makeup in the morning. She puts on, she will literally wake up at six in the morning and go find her prettiest dress and put on her heels and she's ready to go for the day. And so... (laughs) It's just, it's wild uh, to see these two just little individuals, just their personalities are just so different and parenting them both for their individual needs has been a trip. It has been a learning experience of knowing which kid needs what from you. And I'm sure you, you know, you understand that too with your two kids, like they each have very different like For sure. ways of receiving love or ways of receiving discipline or correction. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's, it's a fun, fun process. <laughs> Absolutely. I just think it's incredible that you have this wonderful and unique lens from which to view your relationship with your daughters, you know, because you had this incredible experience with your mom and I just, I just can't imagine the solid 
bond. It's kind of like an avatar, make the bond like that. That's what like physically you're actually like bonded. You were already bonded by blood, but it's just one step further. And yeah. And the gift it is, the gift it is to see my, my mom now be grandma to these girls that she didn't even know she was going to have the opportunity to be grandma. She didn't even know she was going to have the opportunity to see me be married. And so now to see what that what that has turned into is just, it's a gift. Yeah. Just that your relationship had been really unpleasant and now restored in a bigger, broader way than you ever imagined it to be restored. And so, and then taking that with your family and with your daughters who, I mean, you have two, you know, not just one daughter, but two. And so, yeah. um, what an incredible gift that is in itself, you know, that, that unique lens from which to view things. So then you had the girls and then you moved to Atumwa. So can you talk just a little bit about that whole process as well? So prompting your family to move, how did you adjust? Yeah, that's another really incredible story about the faithfulness of God. So I told you that Natalie, like finding out we were pregnant with Natalie was really a catalyst to a lot of things we've always felt pulled here. Like when we would come to visit Chris's family from South Dakota, we would come to Iowa to visit. We felt, we felt like we were supposed to be here, but we couldn't quite put our finger on, on why. And so again, we were pregnant with Natalie. We just felt this stirring of like, man, I just, we really feel like we should move to Iowa. Um, and it didn't look anything like what we thought it was going to be, um, again, my husband's family, they, they own a farm. The, the farm is within their family. And Chris thought that he might help with the family farm when we got here. And we, we tried to move here a couple, a couple times actually, um, shortly after Natalie was born. Um, but we, we didn't have the finances or we couldn't find the jobs or we couldn't find a place to live. And uh, we just kind of kept coming up against roadblock after roadblock about moving here. And then, and then about four years ago, actually it was probably four and a half years ago, all of a sudden we just both felt this now, this go, like we've been praying about it and we couldn't see the way through. And we finally just heard go and we're like, okay, but now, because none of the questions that we had about why we couldn't move had been answered. We, we still didn't have the finances or the jobs or any of that. I worked, I worked for a Christian organization. And so when I told my boss, hey, the, the Lord is asking us to move to the middle of nowhere, Iowa. That was not really a, like, that was okay. <laughs> She's like, okay, well, God asks us to do, <laughs> to do things. Uh, what are you going to do there? Well, I don't know where exactly are you going to live? Not sure. Um, we just know that God has told us to go. And so we are trying to prepare for whatever that means. And so my boss was like, well, would you like to keep your job? And Um, I, I mean, yes, yes. I did not even know that that was an option. I had been with this company for a little over a year. I didn't feel like I, had earned the work from home rights, you know? Um, but yeah, I got to keep my job. Wow. And then my husband yes. had the same conversation with his boss in Sioux Falls. 
not a Christian company. I don't know exactly what that conversation sounded like from his perspective, but his boss asked the same question. Would you like to keep your job? Oh my gosh. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. So all of a sudden we had the job and we had the finances to, to pick up and move and go when God said go. And yeah, we, we ended up here. Uh, we, we found a house to rent while we were looking for a home to own. It actually ended up being the house of some other people who uh, went to Northgate at the time. And so, uh, I just had found this house listing on Facebook or whatever and messaged the owner and said, Hey, can we come take a look at it? And I don't even know how the conversation like, like how we got around to the faith conversation in this short little Facebook exchange. They're like, yeah, we go to Northgate. And I'm like, <laughs> well, we're going to go to Northgate. Cause that's where Chris's family went. And so it was just, mm-hmm. God provided literally everything that we needed to be here. Uh, we had jobs, we had finances, we had a house to live in. Uh, we had an immediate friendship. Our, our landlords became some of our best friends here in Iowa. Um, we had a church family to plug into, uh, like it was just infinitely more than we could ask or imagine. Like no kidding that we had, and even needs that we didn't, hadn't even identified yet, uh, were taken care of. And yeah, in July, uh, July 13th or 14th, uh, we will celebrate our four years in Iowa. Oh my gosh. Just by simply answering the call to go where you are told, that's crazy. And the funny thing is, is God hasn't exactly revealed why yet. So we're four years into our Iowa journey. And, uh, you know, the question remains like, okay, God, you brought us here, but for what? Like, what is the big picture here? And we're still figuring that out. Like, we've been super blessed here with all of our relationships. Yeah. Yeah. It's just been really, really amazing to be here. That's awesome, Becky. Oh my gosh. Just nuts to think about how any company would say, hey, sounds good. Want to work from home? Um, Yeah. Sign me up, please. And thank you. Yeah. That's awesome. And we both still work for the same organizations and different positions. Even now we've both moved up in the company, even since we work from home in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) Perfect. So it sounds like it's incredible is what it sounds like. It's working out. It's good. So yeah, that's awesome. So then you have also, since you've been here, you have kind of dabbled in a new side gig, right? Yeah. So can we let, can we talk about that? Can we talk about your lettering and how incredible that is? Oh goodness. Yeah. I guess we can talk about it. I, I picked up this little hobby actually when I was on maternity leave with McKenna. So it was before we moved to Iowa, um, shortly before we moved to Iowa. I saw a video on Instagram of somebody doing hand-drawn like brush lettering or calligraphy. They it's, it's known by a lot of different names. And I was like, I wonder if I can do that. I love words. I love handwriting. Although my handwriting is not like if you, if you look at my handwriting and my lettering, they're two totally different things. I wonder if I could do that. So I started dabbling with that on maternity leave and uh, I'm like, I'm a word nerd. Uh, I love 
I love words. I love, I've been creative when I was little, like always drawing, sketching, doodling, kind of, kind of got the creativity kicked out of me in college. Um, actually had uh, a professor when I, you know, an academic advisor, when I told them what I wanted to do with my life, which is either be a creative writer. He's like, you really don't want to do that. There's no money in that. And so your academic advisor who's supposed to encourage you in, <laughs> uh, I had a different experience. And so I kind of just went, you know, the practical route and, and changed my degree and did what yeah. I thought I was supposed to do, but the, the art bug kind of never left. And so, yeah, I have this little side hustle. I do um, window art and murals. I do, um, I've done some really fun custom things. I've written out uh, wedding vows in calligraphy. I've done- Oh, that's so cool. Can I give you my wedding vows? TJ and I hand wrote them. Oh my gosh. I'm going to give yes. them to you. Let's to talk give about to- this. Oh my gosh. Okay. Let's, that's going to be, oh my gosh, my anniversary is coming up. Oh, hooray. <laughs> okay. I'm going to get, I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to give that to you. Oh my gosh, Becky. Um, so yeah, I've had the- with good hair. This is great. Okay. Sorry. It's <laughs> cool. I've had the opportunity <laughs> to do a lot of, uh, amazing, um, custom work for people, things that help them remember, you know, family events, weddings. Um, I've done things for baptisms and um, baby dedications and just art pieces that help remind people of a special time. Um, I do a lot with scripture. The reason that I started was actually lettering takes so long. Like if you've ever watched an artist do anything, you'll, what comes out looks effortless, but the amount of time it takes for them to create something is ridiculous. And lettering takes so long. So when I started lettering, I did it just for me and I did it with scripture verses. And what it made me do was I've grown up in the church my entire life. So sometimes when you hear the same verse over and over again, it becomes, it almost loses its power sometimes because you're like, yep, heard that, done that, check. Lettering allowed me to like slow down and like kind of marinate in scripture to think like about what each word meant. And so um, my, my little store is called Fresh Word Lettering, and it comes from the idea that the, the word of God is living and active and that art and creativity, I'm taking something that maybe had become, not that God's word should become old, but that had maybe become old and made it creative and fresh and allowed you to have, I don't know, a new appreciation for scripture or for a verse. And so I do a lot of scripture lettering, but it's not just that it doesn't always have to be, you know, biblical, but that's really where my heart comes from is that I would take words that mean something to somebody and make them come alive and help them remember. Okay. So hearing that story just makes so much sense to me about who you are and the experiences that you've had. So again, with restoration, you talk about fresh word lettering being a way for people to look at something that maybe they had seen multiple times, but to look at it with a new perspective. So like the relationship with your mom, the relationship with your husband, you know, to have a better appreciation or respect or a reverence for 
the gravity of those relationships. I think that's absolutely incredible and really just beautiful. Oh my gosh. It's like we've come full circle. (laughs) But that's what he does. Like that's what, that's what he does is he restores all things. And I do believe that everything comes full circle and the creativity that I thought was lost in college is restored and the relation. No, thanks to you, academic advisor. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah. The, even like the ministry dreams that I thought were lost, like now I'm, I'm utilizing that in a different way. Yeah. It's just seeing how, yeah, it all comes back and that nothing is lost. Nothing is lost. You didn't lose anything. You were, you know, that might've been a season, but that it all comes back around. So I like that you talked about seasons because yeah, we do have these seasons in our lives and sometimes they seem cyclical, but breaking that cycle can be really powerful. Yeah. There are cycles that you want to break. Right. Right. (laughs) And then there are things where uh, like there might've been dreams that you gave up on or even relationships that you gave up on or, you know, didn't see how they would be restored. And not all relationships get restored. I'm really just grateful that, you know, this is a portion of my story and I have relationships that have yet to be restored, but I have hope in restoration because I've seen how many things have come back around. Yeah, that's incredible. So then Becky, last couple of questions that I have for you. So what would your encouragement be to someone who maybe is in the process of restoration or hasn't reached that point yet? I'm not good at this. I like, I, I am just as prone to getting lost in the middle of chaos as anybody else, typically during this crazy coronavirus time. Like I, it is easy to get swept up in what is happening in the present, but knowing, like we said, that everything, everything's in a season and that seasons end and that that all is not lost and that there is hope for those things to to come back that would be my encouragement is that just to believe that there is something on the horizon and that things are are being restored that is that's what Jesus shows us that's what scripture shows us is that every time humanity makes a giant mess that we are restored that our relationship is restored that there is still abundant love and hope and even when we don't see it in the middle, if we persevere long enough, hopefully we'll have the, that gift of hindsight to look back and say, oh man, when I did not see what you were doing there, now I see it. And now I'm grateful. And now I'm grateful that I persevered through that season to get to where you brought me today. Yeah, that's wonderful. Just wonderful goggles, goggles to look at things through. I love that. So then Becky, what would be your advice to people who are support people for those who might be going through like a cyclical time where things just seem lost um, and there doesn't seem to be restoration on the horizon. What would you say to people who are supporting those who are in the thick of it? We really can never see our own lives clearly. Can we like when we're in the middle of it, it is really hard to see the forest through the trees. We can't, sometimes we can't see our own weaknesses or sometimes that's the only thing we can see and we can't see our Mm -hmm. strengths. So if you're supporting someone who is in a messy, you know, season, 
just just continue to encourage them, show them what you can see and maybe what they can't. Yeah. Encourage them in any way that you can to believe the best in themselves, to believe the best in the, in the story that's ahead of them, I think is just so important. Mm-hmm. I had just incredible friendships throughout the way that showed me the things that I couldn't see about myself and that when I received them or, and sometimes I receive those things kicking and screaming, like sometimes I'm like, I don't believe you or I don't want to hear that, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. those friends really showed me, helped me look toward the future and toward the horizon instead of, instead of what my current situation was. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so important to have a support system that does remind you. I like that you use that analogy of the can't see the forest through the trees when you're in the thick of it. It is just awful. So I think that's those are wonderful words of encouragement and advice to anyone who is experiencing that or is supporting someone who is experiencing restoration. Becky, do you have anything else that you'd like to share with anyone? Is this has just been awesome? I'm just so grateful to um, to be able to talk with you and um, to have these conversations. I think that what you're doing with the podcast is so, so important for women, uh, no matter where they are in their journeys, wh- wherever they are in their seasons. I mean, you are speaking to to all women and encouraging them where they're at. And it's just so important. And so if we continue to build a hive of people that yes. encourage one another and, <laughs> and maybe you don't have, like, maybe you're a person who doesn't have that yet. Maybe you don't have those friend groups uh, that can be that encouragement for you that this, like what you're creating here uh, with the B would help people find that would help people find that community and mm-hmm. feel um, supported and loved and not alone. I desperately hope so. Yes. I'm so excited. I feel it. I know it's going to happen. I know it's happening. It's already happening. Yes. It's just been a wonderful experience. And Becky, I'm so glad that you are a part of it. Becky Albertson, everybody with Fresh Word Lettering. I'm going to put her um, store information in the description so that you have access to it. She created our our logo for the Bee Podcast. She was instrumental in getting this up and running on off of the ground. And so Becky, thank you so much for being here. I'm so thrilled that you have shared your story of restoration and how everything comes full circle. So everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bee Podcast. Please join us next time for the Bee. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. Make sure to click the link in the description to join the Hive membership for only $5 a month. Join me in an exclusive mission to see that all stories everywhere are shared. And don't forget to rate and review our pod so that all women everywhere can find us, be encouraged, and be inspired. Again, thank you so much for listening. Screenshot this week's episode and share on your social media to bring awareness to this project. I'll catch you next week. I'm Tammy Milliken, and this has been The Bee Podcast.